0: Welcome to Reels on the Rocks, the show where your hosts, Whiskey and Sweet Tea, discuss film from the unpretentious perspective. In tonight's episode, we discuss the dark, simplistic, and long experimental film, Dogville. A content warning is in effect regarding the following topics, sexual assault, suicide. Don't forget to like, subscribe, hit that notification bell, and as always, please be advised that spoilers are ahead.
1: Welcome back to Reels on the Rocks with Whiskey and Sweet Tea. This week, we are tackling Lars von Trier's Dogville. And uh, <laughs> if you made it past the warning, uh, thank you. Uh, definitely going to need a stiff drink for this one. This this episode, I'm drinking Two Towns Cider House's The Bad Apple. And it's uh, 10.5% alcohol by volume. Yep. It's brewed in Oregon. So fancy and it it's actually pretty uh, appropriate for some elements of the story. Um and what are you drinking this this time tea? So, I'm drinking something called a poison apple.
0: Ooh. It is a combination of Jack Daniel's apple whiskey uh with cranberry juice and it's all shaken together. Um I doubled up the recipe to make it a, a stiffer drink <laughs> and i'm drinking it out of a margarita glass
1: so you know gotcha. it's like, I got, does that I got to go with <laughs> is that straight or is that with ice
0: it's supposed to be served with ice i, I didn't have enough room for ice in my margarita glass so i'm drinking it straight
1: <laughs> sounds tasty i should i should up my game well actually i've got some ideas for christmas episodes are next to so i've got some ideas for that um, but anyway, yeah. So we're we're all going to need a stiff drink. I encourage any of you listening to maybe pour yourself something, because uh, this is this is quite a, a film. Um, <laughs> and uh, just like last week's or last episode, uh, I went into this blind, so I didn't know what I was getting into. Although I should have known better, because it's Lars von Trier. Um, so this is experimental, like. These these last two reviews we've done are supposed to be kind of experimental movies. And I'm wondering, T, if you can guess why I picked this, especially for you, because two... if you haven't seen Dogville, there is kind of a uh, big glaring thing that you'll notice very quickly with the movie with what is pretty unconventional about it. But uh OK, so two
0: reasons. One, you know, I'm not super into dogs was that it no <laughs> no <laughs> the other reason is is it reminded me a lot of one of my favorite movies The story at least the story at least did uh the dressmaker um well i
1: think you're i think you're overthinking it okay. i'm just s- specifically on the production end. can you think of a reason why i might have found this one would be either challenging or interesting for you
0: oh obviously the fact that there are no sets
1: there we go. All right. Yeah. So as as we know, and if any of you have been listening along, one of T's favorite things is costumes and sets. Yes. And although there are costumes in this, the big thing about Dogville is that there is no sets. It is filmed on a soundstage, but it takes place in a small town in Colorado. And it's a very simple metaphor. The town's very poor and there it's essentially like, oh, there's nothing here. So Lars von Trier took that as let's not have any buildings let's just have a soundstage with like chalk outlines for each of the buildings and let's make it like <laughs> like bare bones um, which is all I knew about the movie um, and the story was, we'll get into it as I said there's a lot to unpack with this film but uh, I guess we'll start off with Lars well we'll start off with the basics so this came out in uh, April on April 23rd, 2003 in the U S uh, not a huge budget, just 10 million. And it only gross 16 million. Big surprise. It's kind of a weird movie. I'm not really sure, you know, if it, yes, I, no matter what, I don't think it would have sold well, uh, whether, whether it's the subject matter or anything. Uh, it did win 21 awards, and hilariously, it won the Cannes Film Festival Palm Dog. I don't know if they were trying to be funny with that, but <laughs> I, I thought that was funny, so that's the one award I made note of. Um, and it was filmed in Sweden, so you know it's it's in a big soundstage, and they do do some like, creative stuff with the lighting and things like that. It honestly kind of feels like watching a theater performance, and I was kind of curious how I was going to react to this, because Lars von Trier is an interesting sort of uh eccentric character in in film do you know anything about mt uh no i don't nothing at all I, okay. I, like you
0: i went into this movie completely blind
1: oh boy here we go so lars von trier is um he's a danish filmmaker uh, and he got his start a while ago he kind of his his big claim to fame early in his career was he created a movement in the 90s called dogma 95 Mm -hmm. and he's he's an odd dude so he was born in 1956 uh in denmark langby i believe if i'm pronouncing that correct uh and he supposedly he was raised by two nudist parents so he (laughs) would often go to like nudist colonies on vacation if he wasn't already like grown up like living in one Mm -hmm. Uh, and so he some people credit that as his like kind of eccentric behavior but he's known for uh being a character and also every single time he releases a movie he does something to get himself into hot water he's no stranger to controversy if you google him i guarantee before any of his movies come up it's going to be one of the the many things that he's gotten in trouble with uh supposedly he's had some uh Some beef with Bjork. She was the star in his film, Dancer in the Dark. And I feel like when the movie was being made, she had a lot of nice things to say with him. But ever since, like, she actually says, like, he was very unprofessional on the set. He's been known to take off clothes while filming. He likes to mess with uh, actors and stuff. And even as, like, a fun little IMDb note on this film, uh, the lead actor, Paul Bettany, didn't want to be in this movie. But uh, his friend uh, Stalin Skarsgård, Bill uh, Skarsgård's son, who's also like a famous actor, and his other son is Pennywise the Clown, if you don't know. But uh, (laughs) so Stalin Skarsgård said, oh, you'll miss out. His shoots are really funny and it'll be an amazing experience. And then when he... Was on the set and he saw Stalin there. He was like, Oh, yeah, I lied to you. I just, <laughs> he's a great filmmaker to work with, but if I didn't lie about something, you probably wouldn't have shown up. So, um, uh... And that's also, I'm sure you noticed this, T, but it's a pretty stacked cast. There's a lot of famous people. You've got Nicole Kidman. I mentioned Paul Bettany. And then John Hurt's the narrator. The supporting cast is a lot of people I've seen in other things. And there's some notable actors. And he he gets that a lot. And I think it's partly because of his reputation. And I think it's also kind of because of the films he makes. I've done a lot of, like, apologizing for... uh, like weird indie filmmakers and art directors and artistic directors and things like that. Uh, and I'm I'm like torn with Lars von Trier because on one hand, I think he is a bit of an egomaniac and I do think he is a problematic character. However, <laughs> he does a lot to uh, forward the or push the medium forward. And this is a good movie to talk about with that. But before that, um, I'll go into Dogma 95. So you've, you've never heard of this before, right? No, I have not. Go ahead now. Okay, Enlighten so, me. all right. so it's called 95 because that's when he created it. And essentially what the idea of Dogma 95 was breaking down the medium to its quote-unquote essential elements. So this is like filmmaking without the frosting if that makes any sense. Like it's, it's just bare bones and there's 10 commandments that you must follow for your film to be dogma 95. And he would actually like, you know, police it or something. Like if someone tried to release it, he'd be like, Oh, it doesn't follow this rule or whatever. And he actually, I will give him credit for this. He even kind of said like with his own dogma films, he made like he, he admitted when he broke rules and stuff. But so here's the 10 commandments of dogma 95. So commandment one, Shooting is done on location. No props or sets can be uh, brought in. So already this this doesn't really apply to this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I do think that uh, kind of because he has no sets, it still has that uh, sort of ethos of being like bare bones or not fancy. Um, But anyway, so on to Commandment 2. No sound must be produced apart from the image or vice versa. So you can only capture sound in the camera like as filming you can't do any like post-production sound stuff like any sound in the movie has to be recorded along with the image uh commandment three the camera must not must be handheld only movement attainable by hand so you can't use a crane a dolly a tripod anything like that you can only hand hold the camera or move the camera in a way that you could move with your hands uh Commandment four, the film must be in color, no special lighting acceptable. So, no fancy lights, has to be in color, no black and white, no filter, no filters or anything like that, Uh, which is commandment five. Optical work and filters are forbidden. Uh, Commandment six, the film must not contain superficial action. So, uh, just no needless action like any anything that happens must kind of make sense you know no no chase scenes or anything like that if the actor's moving there has to be motivation for it commandment number seven temporal and geographical alienation are forbidden so no weird trippy fancy montages like no <laughs> no drug sequences anything like that uh eight genre movies are not acceptable. So no horror, no romance, no genre. If it's, if it's a dogma movie, it ha- it's telling a story, but it cannot, uh, be, you know, either of our favorite types of movies would not be dogma movies. Cause I really like horror. Wait, but isn't you dogma really like comedies and romance,
0: but isn't dogma a genre?
1: Uh, I, I, it's hard to really pin down what it is. I call it like a film movement, I guess. Uh, I don't know like <laughs> but anyway so well and I, I guess he just means conventional genres because even if you take like a dogma film like one of one of Lars von Trier's earlier ones was like about a uh, like a wedding and a bunch of like a dysfunctional family coming to a wedding so you could say that that's like a dark comedy but it's not it's not a conventional genre film you know what I mean I guess yeah I think I understand like, you could make a dogma movie that is scary, but it can't be, like, a horror movie. And and the thing about all of these rules is, like, they're very they're all gray areas. Like what is, what does temporal and geographical alienation really mean? You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. and, and and that's the thing. Lars von Trier broke the rules in his own dogma movies, or at least he came out and said, Oh, technically we did have to buy a cab for this scene, or we did this, or like we put the cam on a tripod for this scene. So he's broken the rules in his own films. Uh, I feel like it was more of just kind of a, a, a way of like limiting yourself to make something again, more just, pure whatever that means like i i I like i like the spirit of this movement because i also feel like it's kind of if you are an aspiring filmmaker a dogma film would be very easy to make yeah you know because with all these rules it's like you basically have a camera that you're holding and you get a couple of people together and i don't know make up some sort of story and film them and put it together uh but for the last two commandments uh number nine the film format must be academy 35 millimeter So that's like the one aspect that I guess is not very accessible. I don't know if he'd, (laughs) I don't know if him or the other people would like make an exception for nowadays when everyone has a cell phone or whatever, but at least when he made it, uh, you know, it had to be Academy 35 millimeter film, uh, film, you know, that you made it with. And number 10, and this is kind of where I, I feel like Lars von Trier has an ego. Uh, But this is kind of a cool commandment, and this is the thing I actually like the best about dogma films. The director must not be credited.
0: Interesting.
1: So if you make a dogma film, you cannot put your name on it. You can't claim to to have have been the director. But you can put it on in other ways. I mean, going back to, again, his earlier dogma films from, like, the 90s, everyone knows Lars von Trier made them. His name's on the credits, but... And and that too, like if you, if you entered it into a film festival, it's like, you kind of have to say somebody made it, you know, directed by Uh, unknown. (laughs) So again, like I, I like the spirit of the movements because I feel like it's kind of stripping down all of the pretentious elements of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. The only things I feel like are a little iffy, like for instance, the Academy 35 millimeter, you know, film cameras were a little more accessible in the nineties, but nowadays Eh, I'd say like if you made a dogma film on a cell phone camera or, you know, a, a digital camera you had on you, that would be yeah. okay. Well, um, and like, and like, I agree with you. I think, I think I, I can really appreciate, like, I think
0: some of them are extremely limiting, but I, I like you, like you said, I, I think that the spirit of it is something that I can kind of admire and get behind, you know, just doing what you can with what you have and trying exactly. to make something interesting out of it. You know, like, like we talked about last week in, uh, not last week, but in our last episode of Sass Music in the World, when a guy Madden said, you know, he took something that wasn't interesting and was able to make something he could get excited about out of what he had. You know, it's kind of sort of that same sort of spirit.
1: That's something I can't admire. Exactly. And again, like, I, and maybe he, I've never met Lars von Trier, so maybe he just comes off as egotistical, but, uh. I do like that, again, 10 is my favorite commandment because it really just kind of would be humbling because now you've spent all this time making this movie and you can't even claim to be its owner anymore. Uh, well, you know, that kind of plays into that whole thing about the death
0: of the artist, you know, after yes. it's put out there, the artist's opinion or saying it doesn't matter anymore. So, that, I mean, like maybe that's kind of the philosophy he was going for with that.
1: I would think so and i and i feel like he carries it on to his films too like even when he is working with a bigger budget or using special effects nothing feels superfluous or like unneeded um like for instance with this with this movie (laughs) like i i think it was kind of interesting how uh again like it's it's a simple metaphor like it doesn't take a genius to realize oh there's no sets because it's a poor town I get it; they have nothing, literally, you know. But it's it's funny how it actually kind of worked to really cement in my mind uh, the setting and just how terrible of a town Dogville is. Uh, when they're d- visually in the film, you can see every every character on see, like at all times.
0: See, I had I-, I interpreted that differently. I thought the whole idea was that in a town this small, everybody knows what's going
1: on. I think that can work too. I think, I think in a lot of ways it works and it's just kind of funny. I was curious if, because again, I've never seen this. I knew the, the whole no set thing. That's all I knew. I knew that it was one of his least strange movies as far as the story goes. And I say that definitely is still the case. <laughs> um, it's definitely, it's a story. We'll get into that later. But, uh, <laughs> but as far as like his weirder movies, like Melancholia is about a planet crashing into earth. Oh, or, that um, sounds like that's an uplifting film. Well, that, here's the other thing, and we we'll, again, we'll get into this when we talk more about the story. But I went into this blind because I didn't really know what the story was. And the funny thing about this was, I, as I'm watching it, I'm like, "Oh, this is kind of wholesome. This is this is so unlike Lars von Trier." And as as the you know second half of the movie started, I'm just like, "Why? Why did I think otherwise? Why would I?" <laughs> It's well, Lars Von Trier. What did I expect? Because well, all of his me... movies are about miserable things, about depression and psychopaths, and like other other movies he's made that maybe you guys have heard of are uh, most recently he did The House That Jack Built, which is about a serial killer trying to argue his way into heaven by claiming that his murders are uh, modern art
0: that's and
1: then right and then uh also like uh that's i feel like he got a lot of...
0: into his mind
1: <laughs> well i don't think he i haven't seen the film but i think i feel like he's because every time i've seen a large on movie he does not sympathize with bad people necessarily and he's done some cool things like his early trilogy in the 90s uh dancer in the dark was one of them was supposed to be about uh heroic women in really like terrible circumstances Mm -hmm. so and you're supposed to like kind of root for them so one, the one with Bjork dancer in the dark she's a murderer but she's like a sympathetic murderer so she she's a character you root for in in the house that Jack built I think he was kind of supposedly like commenting on how narcissists think Mm -hmm. i don't know i haven't seen the film but he's not taking jack's side and then uh i I, you said you'd seen the nymphomaniac movies those were also lars von trier yeah
0: they share something with this movie that that when we get to it i'll 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 go on about that
1: (laughs) oh his yeah his movies feel kind of similar i i know what you mean and and honestly i my biggest problem and the reason I feel like he is kind of egotistical and the biggest turnoff for his movies for me is he has so much philosophical pontification. That's another thing that I thought wasn't going to be in this movie. And then at the very last minute, it's like, oh, well, what's the meaning of justice and blah, blah, blah. It's like the worst <laughs> for me was the nymphomaniac movies, because it's like this this woman and this man just having a conversation about the meaning of life. And it's like this is this is like filmmaking this it feels like something like a a film student would do you know what i mean like my film is about uh, a man having a conversation with god on the meaning of justice and it's like that's not smart you're not smart for coming up with that like it's and so that, that's my thing with Lars von Trier and even movies of his that I like. There is always some character just monologuing about some arbitrary like topic and they never say anything meaningful. Yeah. It's just like mulling it over in your own head. You know what I mean? Like if, if you were to ask yourself, what is justice? It's like you could probably like think of a bunch of like responses to that question, but having writing them down in a script and having a character talk about them for 30 minutes does not make you a genius. It does not make you a good filmmaker. And it's something that drives me crazy because every time he actually touches on something kind of good in his movies or does something (laughs) skillful, he deflates all of it. Like, and that's like, I haven't seen the house that Jack built mostly because it's apparently really graphically violent. A, gee, I wonder why it's about a serial killer. But I mean, even the premise of that, it's like, okay, it's about a guy arguing with an angel or someone that like his his murderous rampage is art. That sounds vaguely familiar. I'm actually
0: surprised that I see this and not remember. <laughs> you know? Or maybe I blocked it out. Okay, or maybe you told me about it because I'm like, this is-
1: I think I've really to- com- I think <laughs> I told you about it. But yeah, that's like the thing. I find the man so very- uh, Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 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 i straddled the line between loving and hating him like again we talked about a couple of very like ch- charismatic directors yeah. before and i'm usually the one to defend kind of artsy fartsy directors but with lars i'm like not sure if he's actually a genius or if he's yeah. just an idiot wow. that keeps lucking out into <laughs> making good things every once in a while um <laughs> and and it's partly things like that um and I guess, I guess we can get into the plot. Uh, one thing, like, the, the cool thing about this movie, like, and I guess I, my first thing I'll ask you is, like, if you thought it worked, but the thing that was really cool to me was that this screenplay, mm-hmm. you could have shot this, like, a conventional, like, drama. You could have found, like, uh, uh, a spot in, like, the mountains in Colorado and built kind of a ghost town looking place and you could have yeah. shot it like a conventional film. You could have cut all of the narration out of it and it would have probably played as like a pretty good genre or a, God, I keep saying genre drama movie. It might've even been like something like yes. cold mountain or something where it's like very visually striking. Uh, so yeah like anyway so, <laughs> so what, what are your your thoughts i've been talking too well, much i'll just get off I'll,
0: I'll, <laughs> I'll start off with wasn't a fan oh my god this movie uh it was interesting to me watching it though because you know we, you talk about how he essentially created uh a, a sort of film movement and this is probably the most anti-film movie i think i've ever seen how so well because one of my big issues with this movie was is that it made like almost no use of being of being of something that we could see visually because
1: anything that I'm rubbing and, off on
0: you T that sounds
1: like something I would say. Well, I,
0: I know, I know, but I was just like, I, in like you touched on it earlier, like you felt like this is kind of like a stage play. It felt just like, especially at the beginning, it got a little bit better towards the middle, but, uh, it kind of just felt like somebody was like recording on their cell phone, like a play they were watching and then they would zoom in on whatever the action was going on. But it, it, but in addition to that, we had this narrator who would literally describe and sometimes even repeat what was going on, what was being said. So you didn't even really even have to watch it. Like I I was like, I was like thinking this would make a better like radio play (laughs) than, than a film because I, I feel like, I feel like there was, uh, and I, I never thought I'd say this, but I feel like there was almost no purpose to having a visual component
1: to the story. The one aspect I would disagree with is later in the movie when some, some very nasty things are happening. I felt like it was actually more disturbing that it was all out in the open, uh, well, but it's funny, like, cause, cause you're, you're. You sound like me, <laughs> and I'm and, and that's not a bad thing, because this, I, I agree, this is not a very visually uh, good movie. Like, you know me, I'm a cinematography nerd, and I can't really say that the cinematography is good. I do appreciate some of the creative bits that he puts into it, but it again, it, you're right, it feels kind of like a stage play, because there's like creative lighting when it's like sunset and stuff, there'll be... You know uh, the lights will have kind of an orange tint to them or something. There's some bits where the sound stage is all white in the background instead of all black, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a creative way to show whether it's daytime or nighttime without being told. Um, so it's it's interesting. The things I liked about this movie were things that aren't my favorite things ever. like it, it's funny. I said this on our last episode, but both of these films, I feel like were very actor driven. Because uh, the acting is awesome in this uh, from everybody, not just Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. and Paul Bettany, but like the whole ensemble cast is really good. Um, and when you have nothing, <laughs> literally nothing else to look at, uh, you need the actors to carry the plots. And they did a good job uh, because I was engaged. I, like, it's funny. Again, when I recommended this, I didn't realize what the runtime was, and you were actually the one telling me. I know. I was so like, but I, you I was like, "Oh my movie, god!" You were like, "What?" It's a three-hour movie. No, like, and because again, I knew it was going to be Lars von Trier, who also makes. I mean, if you want to sit and watch the whole uh, *Nymphomaniac* saga, that's like a four and a half hour back to back. Ugh. So that's another thing about him. He does not know how to cut out oh, anything. But that um, was
0: something else I was going to bring up. This was a three-hour movie that probably needed to be, at most, an hour and 45 minutes.
1: The reason I'm defending the runtime, and I, I, I just again, felt I, like... like this, this is probably the most genuine defense of any film I've given, because I wasn't expecting to like this as much as i did like i've already done my rant about Lars von Trier so you know i'm not a fanboy but the reason i liked the runtime and the reason i actually ended up liking the story and just the movie in general uh i kind of wish it it would have been interesting if it had been shot as a more conventional movie but i do kind of applaud the creativity uh but the reason i like the runtime is because of something i said earlier about how i thought this was like a wholesome movie at first mm-hmm. It lulls you into a false sense of security because the first hour and excuse me, hour and a half is pretty wholesome. You know, it's like about this lady who's hiding and she's trying to you know become a member of this community and she's befriending people and people are starting to like her and stuff like that. And you're you know for the first hour and a half you're thinking, oh, this is really sweet. This is the most Lars von Trier movie I've ever seen. And then you see where the point of the story is um, see, about halfway through when things start taking a really ugly turn and just keep getting worse and worse and worse. See, I disagree with and you. And I, like, I feel like that wouldn't have been possible without the runtime because it was very shocking to see where the story went for me who did not know where it was going to go. And uh, so I, I don't know. I like, And also it didn't feel very long when I was watching oh it. God. Maybe it's because I mentally prepared myself, but I don't know. Uh, at least for the type of story it's trying to tell, I actually thought it worked in its benefit because I did not expect it to take the turn it did. But why didn't it work for you? So I actually first off, I
0: disagree with you about a little new sense of security. Something about the beginning, and they're talking about the town needs to learn acceptance, or I forget exactly what was said. Right. Uh, that. And then the fact that that this weird gangster, you're, I'm like, this is going to get this is not going to end well for anybody involved. So I kind of felt like the beginning of it was overly it was overly long. Like, I just felt like I saw I, I, I the whole time, the whole thing. I'm like, OK, something's going to go wrong here. Something's going to happen. Somebody's going to be. Here. I was actually waiting for and we'll just get this out of the way. Uh, I was actually waiting for the rape, the first rape to happen. It happened a lot later than
1: I thought it was going to. Uh, yeah, it it takes a while, and now you'll you guys will see why we had a warning yes. at the beginning of this episode. But there is there's quite a bit of um sexual assault in the plot uh, to the point of it being, geez, I mean, like I say, this movie would be better if it was shot conventionally, but man, it would be. Oof like the fact that it felt like a theater performance made it a little less intense. I will intense.
0: say the, it sounds really insensitive, but the first one though was kind of funny cuz you're just seeing this guy's butt across the stage. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and, and everybody um, just like everybody all the actors are just like not looking and I'm sure that was intentional, but I'm just like I'm like I'm wondering are they just not looking cuz this is just hilarious. There's just this big white butt <laughs> right there. But you yeah, I just feel like I just feel like that point was made quickly and we could have moved on from it sooner. And I felt like a lot of time spent with the characters was like a lot of the characters, like proselytizing to us. Like, I mean, I think you talked about that. I this. get that. Like, I'm like, okay, we get it. you you made your point M- move on. And I always, I always use this example of, of blackfish, you know, the movie, the, the documentary blackfish, it made its point about 30 minutes in, and then it keeps throwing in examples and examples. And you're just like, it's Okay. I'm not interested anymore in what cause you were trying to say, because you've made your point for the last hour and a half.
1: <laughs> uh, they had to keep making their point or else, you know, SeaWorld would have, <laughs> when you're going up against them, it's like, oh, we need lots, as much proof as possible. So when they inevitably sue us, we have a lot of uh, receipts. <laughs> but yeah, no, like this, is this is one where I like, I feel like we're going to agree to disagree, but I don't even, I'm not even upset with you because I know Ugh, I like. I hate. I almost hate that I'm defending this movie. It just. I kind of. It. It caught me off guard. And I will say, I think this is my favorite Lars von Trier film I've ever seen because it feels like the most mature story he's ever told. Mm-hmm. And as I said, it's like super perfect up until the end where she's talking with her father about with well, justice and blah, blah. like shut up. That was You're both. Gangsters. That was the
0: only thing that was. Uh, and you know, this is. A, it, it, I, it, the the runtime is usually not an issue for me. You know me. I love my favorite movies are long movies because, and I think we've talked about this in our last episode when, even when you make independent arty films, they have to be entertaining. Um, yes. And I felt like this one wasn't entertaining. I didn't really care for any of the people in the town, which you're not supposed to, but I didn't really care for Nicole Kidman either because you don't really find out anything about her until like the very end of the movie. And so I was like, I'm supposed to care about her, but I really don't cause I don't know anything about her. And, and and then it it, it it was just it was just not an interesting film to me. And and I've said this before, and we've talked about films that make this point about small towns and and, and uh the fact that they that they, that they look you know great and everything, but there's all this weird dark undercurrent under them. I'm like that point's been made nine thousand times. Everybody who's ever lived in a city thinks that this is a hot take, and it really isn't anymore. So I was kind of just like oh okay yeah crime happens like, bad people are everywhere i kind of i've gotten that point already so like like the, 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 so there nothing about this movie was really just i guess interesting and again that's a personal
1: thing that's nobody's fault for sure but it was just there was something that's also why, to why i for sure and that's why i'm like i'm not even upset because again for me i think it was just the acting really drew me in like every every scene is kind of like a really intimate like one-on-one between her and like some of the townspeople Mm -hmm. either just her and one character or her and a couple of characters and again I didn't really predict I don't know why I didn't predict it because again I've seen Lars von Trier movies I know what he's about so I have no idea why I thought it wasn't going to end the way it did or go down the path it did I kind of thought if there was going to be any are you saying that I called the ending this time before you did (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sort of like I as I wasn't expecting anything bad to happen with the townspeople I was expecting if there was going to be like some sort of tragic thing I thought it was going to be the gangsters coming and murdering everyone which I was sort of not wrong about yes but, but you didn't the, know who the reason the for it. Was. Yeah, the thing and I think the reason the runtime and all these other things that just didn't gel for you, but gelled for me was because of what happens. And I guess like, you know, if you haven't seen the movie and want to, you know, go feel free, but this is a spoiler show. So Anyway, so what happens in the film is that after befriending all of the townspeople and becoming kind of a member of the community, slowly they begin to turn on her. And it becomes this thing where it's like she's essentially becomes like the town's sex slave. Like she's not even a prostitute. She's chained up. And they refer to her like the men going to like have sex with her is kind of they say it's like the hillbilly having sex with a cow. It's embarrassing. But just no one talks well, about it. She, she's and it a is sex for the such men. a horrific fate for this woman yeah. that it's honestly like kind of. I I really if 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 there's a reason we had a trigger warning at the beginning of this show, and if you're the sort of person where that sort of thing tur- is a turnoff to you in the film by all means, skip this one. This is like one where I can't really recommend it to everybody because some people just cannot take this subject matter. And it really is horrific. And I feel like that was part of the reason I didn't mind the kind of stage aspect of it. Because if you shot this like a conventional movie, it's like borderline horror movie by the end of it and not even in a fun way. (laughs) Um And uh, and then, you know, it turns out the big twist is that she was not hiding from the gangsters because she was going to get killed by them. It was because she's actually the daughter of the dawn, and he was looking for her because his daughter was missing. And, you know, there was something about like he got pissed and fired a gun towards her or something, but he wasn't going to whatever. So then when they the town eventually turns on her and it becomes more of a liability to keep her there they decide to call the gangsters because the guy who got the business card never threw it away. And then it becomes kind of a, an ironic thing because it's the town's undoing. Because they called the gangsters, she ends up being saved by them, and then the gangsters just go scorched earth on the town well, she, and kill everybody well, she, she
0: commands that does i remember she she, she, she she's the one that recommends it's that. up to
1: her it's her call for sure but i gotta say i did not really have a lot of sympathy for those people i, I was either. kind that of one chick, i have never rooted for gangsters to go on a killing spree more than in this movie yeah uh the, and, that
0: one lady uh forget what her name was
1: uh but oh the one the one that made her choose between the figurines Yeah. Like, no, oh like if you i was cry. like yes again Everything. i've never rooted for children to be murdered in a film more than in this movie <laughs>
0: well and especially difficult for me because i collect those figurines i know exactly right. what kind of figurines those are and some of those at least one of them that i knew off the top of my head was worth some major cash
1: <laughs> you could reenact this movie with your pop figurines you know what you're not coming to my house (laughs) no if you can keep back tears all i will stop smashing
0: no the the figurines Um, she collected are, are uh they're kind of like oversaturated now but um they're by they're from a german company it's called they're called hummels and i know at least one of the ones that that she had was a particularly rare one uh that's worth some money so just a little fun fact
1: tidbit i threw in there for you that's actually interesting it makes me wonder if somehow the production got a hold of one not realizing think, how valuable like it was or sure if they is. if the or well i'm wondering if the art department was like did it as like an in joke you know what i mean made fake ones yeah well like you know like if you know you know, you know you that know. these are valuable like i know because exactly if you know me,
0: i just collect all just sorts of useless knickknacks <laughs>
1: <laughs> it makes me wonder. Um, and a lot of the people who were on production, I saw in the credits, were from like this was filmed in Sweden, and it looked like he used a Swedish crew yeah. because I, a lot of the names. So I don't know. I like I guess you'd have to ask the art director. But I, if I were the art director, and that a bunch of valuable stuff just got smashed for this movie, what? Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know. I almost feel like that must be like an in joke or something yeah. because if if it's valuable. But yeah, like, that's that's the other thing that I find surprisingly good about this movie is that it actually had a pretty nuanced take on something, and it actually had kind of a really good point about human nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, as dark as it was, I kind of liked the story. I liked how you kind of, again, the reason the runtime worked for me is I began to like these characters, and watching them turn into monsters oh. was... <laughs> horrific you know what i mean it's like and it's it's kind of true everyone has a dark side to them like you you take someone who's like very nice and and anyone is capable of horrific behavior and i kind of liked and even the narration and stuff it felt like a cute little movie for the first hour and a half and then it just devolves into madness and then by the end you're just like to hell with all these people (laughs) (laughs) burn the place to the ground and i mentioned this
0: earlier this movie reminded me at least the plot did it reminded me a lot of one of my favorite movies the dressmaker and i'm trying to see if you kind of saw sort of that parallel to no i
1: i I remember the dressmaker and it did it's it was way less like the dressmaker was a lot less dark there certainly was not you know um her getting tied up in a shed and you know uh no that was actually um that was that was a pretty good I'm, I'm trying to remember how exactly i remember in the end she gets her revenge but it's not uh super it's it's very she sends them
0: off to a, appropriate she sends them off to a competition while they're gone she burns down the town and then she gets on a train okay, never mind and it's like so. <laughs> one of my favorite ending lines of a movie ever is when is when they're like she's on the train the guy's like oh i think they overdid it with burning their trash and she goes you didn't know the trash and i was like yes Say it, Kate Winslet. Say it louder.
1: <laughs> right. The difference, though, is that you kind of go into the Dressmaker knowing the town sucks. That's true. Uh, <laughs> like, again, the reason the runtime worked for me is that it, again, with me not thinking it was going to take a dark turn, it it was very disarming for the second half of the movie. So that, But in the Dressmaker, everyone's a jerk from the get-go. That's true. You know, um... It it does surprise me, like in the Dressmaker. This is not a review for the Dressmaker, <laughs> but I will just say that uh, it there there's a death about halfway through in that movie that was very surprising. Yeah, it, it, it was a very
0: um, it it wasn't as dark as this, but
1: it was still kind of a dark. No,
0: it, was a, it was still it dark. was very
1: sad. It wasn't dark. Um, it was just unfortunate. Um, but I'm not going to talk about it because we'll talk about that in the future. The in in case someone wants to see that movie. I'm not going to spoil it in this review, but um yeah (laughs) what uh so what what do you think would have made this a better film for you okay so one of the main
0: things this dude needs to do is he needs to edit i feel like we didn't need to see her interact with uh every single townsperson every time you know, because because the idea is that you know she starts off, everyone's friendly, they appreciate her, and then as it gets on, they don't appreciate that they appreciate her less. They start kind of taking advantage of her. The men take advantage of her sexually. The women take her advantage of her as almost a workhorse. But we see that interaction recur with essentially every character every single time. And I don't think we needed to do that to um, to make the point. Um, and then the other thing that that really bugged me about this was the camera work and the sound were not good in this movie. <laughs> That's just me. Like I said, I felt like I was watching somebody had recorded something from an audience almost, um, with the, with all the weird shaky handheld with the weird zoom ins and pans. And then there were certain scenes in it where the sound was not good. And it, it was more off putting with the fact that they paired it with, uh, they had added in uh, sound effects like to, like for like you know, summer at, or at night there'd be
1: crickets or during the day there were like birds. And then so that would... When you say it wasn't good, do you mean you couldn't hear that? No, I mean or... like... Because I, di- I didn't have any issues with so sound. There were some
0: scenes where uh, the sound was great. You know, like you would hear just like movie quality sound with the, with the dialogue. And that was fine. And then they'd, they'd be in a different part of the space. And what would happen is is they would suddenly start to echo. And it would feed back into the mic. So they sounded very echoey. And then it sounded weird because they had overlaid that on top of like nature sounds that were professionally recorded or that sounded better. And so you're like, why are we having this echoing in an area that's supposed to be outside? And it's not like it was like in the mine or anything like that. Um, It was just because they were in this enclosed space that had nothing in it. They would echo. You know what I mean? I got Um, what you mean. There was that. But like my big thing is just this movie could seriously needs to be cut down like something needs to go in this movie and like I said, the other thing i didn't like was just I, I i don't like feeling like i'm being talked at and this is a movie that spends a lot of time talking at you and you're I, to the and choir and <laughs> i don't i know and i and i and, and i feel like and i think i touched this earlier a lot of the points that were made in this movie and these themes and everything they weren't like anything you know groundbreaking I, mean, I don't want to say groundbreaking but you know there, there weren't like anything that was like oh i hadn't thought about that or anything like that. You know, they were kind of very basic sort of what is justice evil people exist in small towns you know don't become subservient for you know, just there, there were just different things that were just it's it's like this is not a new like sort of philosophy and I felt like it was being presented as though like, Oh, have you ever really thought about this? And that to me got very old, very quickly.
1: I, I was, I, I, I do agree with you about the runtime. And that is a thing that is in a lot of his movies melancholia is a film of his i really like but it is one that the first half is so boring um my god uh like and you get the point really quickly that film is about depression and the first half is essentially kirsten dunst just ruining her own wedding (laughs) um and it goes on for an hour like it's half of the movie takes place at this one wedding and it just keeps going and going and it's like you get it we get it Move on, please. Yeah, um, um, and that's like a thing in all of his movies. Um, so I agree with the runtime. I feel well, like again, like the slow pace I, is because again, for me, what what got me was I don't think you would have needed the narration. You definitely do not need Nicole Kidman talking with her mob boss dad at the end about the fate of the town and like that. That was the thing that irritated the hell out of me. Was like them talking about all these nebulous topics um when it's like just we get it she's gonna burn the town down we get like bleh. um <laughs> so the narration could have been cut. um yeah the narration really bugged me because like i said it was just it was basically
0: describing what was happening as we were watching it and then at the same time he would sometimes even repeat lines that characters were saying before they said it
1: <laughs> yeah uh, like it, it worked with the tone that they were it, again, like back when I thought it was a wholesome movie, it kind of reminded me of something like, uh, like, a like a book. Is you would like it
0: towards the beginning um, when it's wholesome, I used to have this book on tape of Winnie the Pooh and all yeah. the chapters start with, you know, chapter three in which Pooh goes visiting and gets into a tight place. That's kind of like sort of, I mean, I think maybe, maybe he was trying to go for some sort of a storybook sort of thing. Um,
1: but yeah I ca- well and he got it's John hurt too like he's got that like classical British voice right um but yeah so I'm with you I still think like having a, a two hours or longer I think is still good but three hours is mutt is a lot mm-hmm. um <laughs> it's way too much I feel like and, the last act really got stretched out more than it needed to.
0: I like it I like, like what the, was happening the filming in it, but I don't think it, I don't
1: think the last act of the movie needed to be an hour well and this is this is kind of where like I admire Lars von Trier is the whole filming with no sets thing it didn't make the movie perfect it didn't make it like better like again if you had shot this like a very conventional drama I think it might have even gotten like Academy Award nominations and stuff like that like if you just shot this like a straight up Hollywood drama like i said like build a town up in in the mountains with like you know do do essentially what uh eggers did for the witch you know build the town from scratch and like film everything there and have it shot as like a more conventional movie i think it would have sold a lot better see i disagree but the thing i, I like about that. it's it's kind of like going back to dogma the whole limiting what you have uh, access to almost makes for more creative decisions And I feel like he squandered that on, like he could have made the cinematography more interesting. The one shot I thought was really cool was uh, the straight overhead looking down Mm -hmm. when people would be moving and stuff. I thought that was really cool, but I'm with you on uh, the fact that it's just shot like a theater piece. And it's like, if you're not going to have sets, you might as well compensate in other areas right. make the sound design really interesting make the cinematography really interesting if you don't have a set i mean with. hamilton was um, filmed with more interesting cinematography than this yeah i feel like the set was more interesting in that like it, that, it, we, we talked about this last year uh, i really liked hamilton but it was a play <laughs> that mean but the, but but i mean to me this is what this was this was just a play this was not exactly and that's where and that's where like i feel i agree with you i don't think that they tried very hard with the cinematography when they could have made it more interesting quite frankly when you have no walls separating you you can do some crazy you stuff could, with the they camera. could have walked straight
0: through they could have done stuff where they had like three houses lined up And they were all having a discussion about something and we kind of just walk through, you know, the houses and hear the conversations all happening. You know, but that would have been something that would have been interesting. That would have made to me the fact that he did. When they're voting,
1: when they're voting on whether to keep writing, you could have a tracking shot with Nicole Kidman where you leave the church with her and their dialogue gets quieter and quieter as she goes to the to the mind right. to wait. I because And I, then especially with no narration, it's like hearing the bells and stuff, that could have been way more tense. Yeah, um, You know, so, so yeah, like I agree I with just, you. I, think I just they, feel uh,
0: like, I feel like, I kind of just feel like because of the lack of effort they put in with sound design and with cinematography in this movie, that the whole not having a set thing was kind of wasted. And to me, it kind of came across more of as a gimmick than anything that was interesting
1: i agree um i think the fact that i knew about the gimmick more than i knew what the movie was about when we when i recommended this as our (laughs) as our pick says a lot about the movie and i think it's kind of a shame because again like at least as far as the von trier films i've seen this is probably his most mature and interesting story he's ever told and that was the thing too that i uh I was I was curious like it said that he wrote it and then when I was looking at reviews online some lady said that it was based on a book then I looked up the book and the book had nothing to do with this movie so I was like what whatever it, like so it seems that Lars von Trier did write this himself which is shocking to me because usually when he writes something it's a lot worse well and that's <laughs> um, probably why that least the story at least makes sense yeah so um and again, like, it, it's not even just, like, that the story makes sense. It's that, like, more normal... Can, you, so you did see the... Again, like, just trying to get back to, like, what movies of his you have seen. You have seen Nymphomaniac, yes, or and you've heard of I've it. I've seen it, and and I do think it's overly long for what it needs to be. <laughs> yes. And you can also, since you have seen it, you can see his kind of dark subject matter. He does a lot have a lot of overt sexuality in his movies. And this, it's unfortunately sexual assault. Yeah. But sex is like a big thing. In I will, I will applaud him. And then the, the freaking philosophical pontification I was talking yeah. about. Yeah, with... I
0: will applaud him though with this, and especially with the sexual assault um, in this film. I'm not. It's hard to describe it as. I'm not trying to say it's tasteful because it's sexual assault. It's not. But the way that it was done was in a way that didn't allow for objectification of Nicole Kidman's form, and at most, it allowed for objectification of of the rapist the male which i thought was kind of interesting and you know usually when people film that, they don't film that to objectify the female character but they usually do it in a way that allows for that to happen and yes this, and i will like he did not do that in this like i said when i was talking about the butt earlier the most we see of exposed even i think actually i think even exposed genitalia is on the male side
1: which I, yeah i don't even think i you do see you do see it with the man the first yes. time but that was that was the other interesting thing there's not a lot of nudity in i this. was actually uh, you, nicole kidman you never see naked um yeah. and yeah that's again laura's on i don't think he's like a i think he has an ego but i think he's well-meaning in most cases and he does have like a feminist streak to mm-hmm. him uh, I feel like most feminists would probably argue he's a well-meaning idiot. Because uh, <laughs> that's how he comes across. Like Michael like, Moore. He, he, li- he, well, he likes um, strong women. Like in most of his films, it's a female lead. And they're usually not objectified or like pushovers or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, But it also comes off as a script very much written by a male perspective at the same time. Yeah. You know, and I feel like you kind of get that from this. If you've seen *Nymphomaniac*, then you definitely know what I'm yes. talking about, because that's one where the character is interesting, but it's still like she she likes having so, sex. Right, <laughs> right, what can you What can you say? I just I um, did <laughs> just
0: Google something because I was looking something up, and you mentioned. And did you know? Uh, I don't know. I'm hoping not stepping in your toes, but apparently there was a pilot of this that he filmed.
1: No, I did not so know it that. It says
0: he filmed like a fifteen-minute pilot to see if the if the like the no set thing would work, um, and I guess
1: it was only released. Um, smart of it him was only released on the DVD <laughs> version. That's that's actually very smart of him to do that, just to make sure before investing all that time. And I, money still, I still I still think the though movie. the
0: whole point about having no sets was completely wasted, and like I said, it comes across as more of a gimmick. And I know that you said earlier that if it had been filmed with sets. Or or tra- not so with sets, but just traditionally, it would have gotten more.
1: Thi- I kind of want. I I, I, I I think I, it would have gotten nominated for some Oscars I, if it was you know, filmed like a conventional movie. Well,
0: you know, I'm over here trying to be like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of. I, I can be cynical about this. Uh, I kind of want to see what would have happened. I mean, we can't now because the movie's already come out. Because, also on this, it it made so many people's like top you know, lists of the decade and everything. And I guess Quentin Tarantino even said that this is like the best movie that's been made. One of the best movies that's been made since he started his career or something. And I'm kind of wondering if this had been shot more traditionally, if it would still be showered with the same amount of praise, or is it just that it was different? And that's why everybody's like,
1: well, but again, that's, that's never something that you can ever actually prove because. And that's also the thing with Lars von Trier, it goes back to Dogma. It's like, did Dogma make better movies? I don't think so. I just think the fact that he tried to make a movie without sets, I think is admirable in it in and of itself. And I think it's interesting that it at least worked for me. Do I think it was the best decision he could have made in this movie? No, (laughs) not at all. But I was very surprised that I often was not thinking about it, and I just kind of like—it's kind of
0: weird. It kind of fell into
1: the story. Yeah, it kind of just becomes background noise at some point. Like at first, it's kind of weird, but then you kind—it's—it's of, it's like watching a yeah, it's like watching a play. You stop thinking about it after. Yeah, you, a you while stop thinking you about it. The of... only
0: thing that really ever remains is how nobody could ever seem to open the same door the same way.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they all it, forgot where the knob um, was. <laughs> And uh, the other thing, like, it's it's funny because I, I actually, like, I liked this one, but it wasn't the filmmaking that I liked. It was the story and the, like, and again, I think there are some things they could have changed to make it better. Uh, But overall, like the story he was trying to tell and the vibe, and I do think it was intended that he kind of wanted to catch you off guard with what happened. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that was the reason he chose to have narration and stuff was to be like, oh, it's this small town in Colorado. And at 12 p.m. exactly, Mrs. Morris comes out to water her bushes. And, you know, like it's it kind of makes you think like, oh, this is going to be like a cute cute little story yeah i was actually um, and wondering it's not. <laughs> i
0: was actually being like oh it's too bad this is not gonna end happy because this is kind of cute and
1: quaint the way it is right now uh right the happy the the family friendly cut of dogville is just the first hour and a half <laughs> it's just it's just
0: that <laughs> and it's a happy town where everybody saves people and doesn't throw people to to basically
1: actual wolves mommy why does it say on imdb that the movie is twice as long you don't know (laughs) this is this is the movie this is how long it's supposed to be nothing else happens that reminds
0: me there was an episode of friends where phoebe i guess her mom had never let her watch any movies with sad endings or whatever so what she would do is like when movies got to the sad ending she would turn it off like that's it so like they're watching old yeller and she's like oh yeah and she's like and she, and she, and she, and she's like oh yeah and this is where you know he goes home and is happy with the family and so it's she's like N- that's not how old yeller ends and she's like what whoa what are you doing with that gun there oh my god and she's like she's like yeah that's the part where my mom would turn off the movie and be like okay it's over
1: <laughs> it's funny you bring up phoebe because her character is like this movie very like disarmingly dark yeah and
0: she's like yeah you know like
1: i i, di- I didn't really watch friends when it came out but when i have watched it with people who like friends i'm just like wait her mom did what right. and you know like wait her backstory is what well, and i just lo- but she's like the goofy hippie one right like and no it's like all this really horrible stuff in her home life you know i do kind of credit not this
0: is not what this this episode is about but i do kind of credit that with with, with at least beginning to kind of Erase a little bit, sort of, the stigma around suicide because it was kind of talked about so often on that show and sometimes in a lighthearted manner. I do think that kind of helped, you know, try to destigmatize those thoughts and stuff in people. So that is a good thing.
1: For sure. Um, what, what did you think of the acting in this? Cause I thought the performances were really good, but like, despite all the things you didn't like, would you say the performances carried the movie somewhat for you as I well? I think so. Or...
0: I still was, there was parts when I was watching this movie, where I was still like, Oh my God, I'd rather be watching the Irishman. And you know, how bad, how, how uninterested, not bad, but how uninterested in the movie I have to be to want to say that. But <laughs> <laughs> I do think, I do think, um, the actors, uh, in it, especially with there being and i do think that having no sets here actually played into the actors um into, into me respecting them more i, I mean i'd not say i didn't respect them but you know I'm just, I'm just you know kind of admiring them a bit more you know having just to be constantly just unaware of what's going on around them um because that's very it sounds easy but it's it's difficult to do on purpose and yeah uh, and i
1: mean like yeah for sure i i you know the the film stars Nicole Kidman, and, and she she she's good in yeah, everything. I've never seen her in anything uh, that I didn't like, for sure. And I think she does an awesome job in this. But I guess I got to hand it to Paul Bettany, uh, especially for what turns out to be such a shit whole character who I hate by the end of the movie. Uh, he really kills it, and they actually had really good chemistry, despite you know everything that happens. Like as as like a romantic couple. Uh, it worked until it didn't work um, but speaking of like characters and how uh, your kind of thoughts on the characters in this movie like change over time, he was an interesting case because it's funny. He's almost sort of the pseudo protagonist. for you, like, he's the first chunk of this, and he becomes the worst. Yeah, he kind, of, he he kind becomes of becomes the worst of all of them. He's he's he enables the bad the, their bad behavior. He lies. He steals. He is like jealous of people you know sexually assaulting her like as if like he's entitled to it because it's. Yo, he becomes, he's a nice guy he's an internet nice yeah, guy yeah that's what i was <laughs> about to say he
0: was an internet nice guy before people knew what to call them uh especially
1: it's, there wasn't even he he, he he was the prototype for nice guys but he is the most evil, and again, like that's what works so well for me with this movie. And he's like the perfect example of like at the beginning of the film, for like the first chunk, I'm like totally on his side, like oh, he's the even-headed one, he's talking some sense into these people, and then he's like the ringleader of like this mob of psychopaths. Yeah, you know, there was, and he's the one who calls the mob. You know, the, and it's there was something about him when when she
0: tells him about the first assault that he kind of is just. I don't know and and again it's it's,
1: he blames her it's like it's it's honestly this is what I mean when I say like Lars von Trier feels like a will a well-meaning I call him a well-meaning idiot but like this is like he does have like feminist qualities to his films and that's kind of the thing where like I do think he understands like what it means to be kind of the real question is, is he... Like a, like a spineless misogynist. So, um, is like he a d- d- reformed
0: nice guy is the real question.
1: Well, I think he... Again, like, I, he's... he's, <laughs> I think the term... I loved it. They used it for Jerry and Rick and Morty, but they called him a beta male feminist. Or beta male... Sorry, beta male uh, misogynist. <laughs> and that's what he is. Because he's not... He's very, like... You know, he, he thinks of himself as an intellectual... But he's really just kind of a a nothing. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he's, oh, I'm a writer, except he doesn't publish anything. And he thinks he's smarter than everyone in the town when really he's just the most soft spoken. And one, the one bit I really liked uh, at the ending, despite the ending kind of being iffy for me, was when she's considering not killing everyone in town and she's talking to him and he's just saying a bunch of big words that mean nothing. Like he's trying to like rationalize his own shitty behavior and that's like the point at which she decides, yeah, this town needs to die. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I loved that because it's so true, like how he can he can put it however he wants. He can use whatever big words he wants, but it doesn't change the fact that he just allowed this town to use her like a toilet. Yeah. You know? Um so it's dark subject matter, but I I thought it was an interesting and way more insightful than anything I've ever seen Lars von Trier put out. Uh, so it's a recommendation for me, uh, obviously. But you know, if 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 sexual yeah, assault well, or other touchy things are like a trigger for you or just not something you're into, I'd say give it a pass. But if you're looking for something really like interesting and you have
0: nothing else going on in your life ever again.
1: And you got three hours to kill. Maybe you're a Lars von Trier fanboy or fangirl. Uh, and and I don't know. You already love this movie, but I, I do recommend it. I think it's a like good kind of new fable. Uh, that's the best word I can come up with for kind of the story because it has like sort of a moral to it, about you know not letting yourself get into kind of a. Not even that. Like I, that sounds like victim blaming when I put it that way. But it's it's about human nature and about how much like you give people an inch and they'll walk on all over you because it's first just I'm gonna do work. I know, like to prove that I'm trustworthy. Well, and, then, and, then and then when then, she the says more, she becomes yeah. when she says yeah, the um, more
0: she becomes. Yeah, when she says um oh I'll work harder and you can. T-. I'm like oh god this is not gonna end well, girl no no, that's not what you do. We're
1: fighting for a living wage right now. This is not how to respond. <laughs> well, and it's like, and that's the other kind of funny thing I noticed about these films that we reviewed is they both take place during the Great Depression. Oh, that's true too. Actually, I didn't think about that. Yeah, so that was like kind of a fun little coincidence, but it also kind of shows like these people are very... uh they're desperate, and when people are desperate, they do very evil things. You know, like slave labor. Yeah,
0: that's basically and... what she becomes at the end. Is she's a sex slave to the men, and
1: she's like a, a slave labor to the women. Yeah, and an emotional punching bag too, because the women. Oh yeah, we're coming so they, like, in. We're coming in. you
0: know what's sad is when I saw them. Point no, they out...
1: beat her. They beat her too. Like the women go and just beat on her at night, like when she's not being like raped by somebody. Well, and then and then um oh
0: god what was it? as soon as i saw the figurines i'm like oh, these are gonna end up broken at some point anytime they show anything pretty that's glass it always ends up broken at some point and they never make a big deal pointing at it and so i was like okay
1: these are gonna end up broken somehow just a matter of when and you know you know what film this kind of reminded me of from our lost episodes uh, a lot. except that movie is a lot less disturbing as well and it's delicious <laughs> like, and short er and, but you know what yeah. I mean, like a uh, woman c- rolls into town, gets everyone to trust her. And there's a little bit of uh, some domestic stuff going on in that one. As yeah. Well. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I was kind of wondering if you were going to end up liking this one. I'm not surprised you didn't. I was kind of part of the reason I was curious was I wasn't sure if the subject matter was going to turn you off or the fact that there was no sets that the, the no but was, sets thing turned me it,
0: it didn't turn me off it was the fact that they did nothing with that that turned me off and it was kind of just like right. all right okay this is to get attention okay let's see what else he does <laughs> and then uh, well, uh, it was actually i'm actually surprised you haven't asked me about the ending because you know how i feel about
1: collateral damage <laughs> Well, you already kind of said like earlier when we were talking about the ending. It sounds like we're in agreement that this this was uh whole, <laughs> this was uh, justifiable collateral. Damage. Well,
0: I was kind of well. I mean, yeah, especially when it comes to children, though. I mean, even though I did really hate that woman wanted her to suffer, I was still kind of like, oh, I was see yeah, I kind of felt a little mm. bit like Jesus right there. You know, they know not what they normally they know not what they do.
1: <laughs> normally i would agree with you but the fact that the little boy was sort of a proto-rapist in in training well again that the kids the kids would also come around and beat on her when she was all chained up it was like this this town is full of monsters well but but it again was, i'm, I'm kind of like,
0: just like in the camp of they know not what they do this is just what they're taught
1: they seriously do not know any better at this point point. <laughs> and that's where nicole kidman's character was almost so i was honestly wondering if she was going to just like let them go free i was kind of like no don't do that just you know i was i was very, it was very as quentin tarantino calls it it was cathartic violence at the end but, but uh what is it uh, but she I was kind of, I, again, for the most was, part though at the end i was kind of like eh, i just uh, flush them <laughs> pretty much i mean but i was kind of wondering if if uh, that was going to be where they go with this. Like, oh, she's too nice. She's going to let them go I... because she's better than them or something... something. Which would probably have been the Hollywood ending. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like if this was not a Lars von Trier film and the same story was being told and shot conventionally, I think that is, maybe it would have been like she she takes the dog with her. It's like- Oh, a, come on. The dog should have died. something like The dog should have died. Like died. Oh, <laughs> Don't be one of those people on dog free- Tea. you don't want to <laughs> i i may be a dog person but i don't wish pain no, and, and suffering I, on cats no,
0: i don't wish pain <laughs> and suffering on animals i just think that dogs get more credit than they than they deserve in movies um i will say though that i think that's kind of one of the reasons why i kind of i do like the um Uh, the dressmaker ending. And I know, I I know it's not the review of that movie, but I think that's one of the reasons why it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a nice middle ground between scorched earth and the, I'm better than everyone, you know, ending, you basically it does, it does enough to kind of essentially ruin these people's lives, but they also kind of get to get, it actually kind of also like plays out their suffering because now they have to kind of figure out what to do now. And they're not exactly very likable people. <laughs> so I kind of, I almost kind of feel like that's a more, that's a better ending just because, you know, it, 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 it prolongs their suffering. It makes them suffer like they made her suffer. You know what I mean? Cause like death is
1: instantaneous. The dressmaker is a hard comparison because what happened to her is not nearly what <laughs> as bad as what happens to Nicole Kidman in this. That's true. I'm just, ta- I'm just um, talking about
0: the small town. No, no, turns, no, for Small sure. town in the middle of nowhere turns against woman.
1: For sure. It's uh it's interesting. But it sounds like you're probably not gonna recommend this. So wrong. this is what I'm gonna say. I, yeah, this is not a recommend for me just because with
0: the themes, the subject matter, the Even, even the way it was shot, it's been done better by other people and more concisely. Like I, I, I was really struggling to finish this because it just became so long and in a way, a little repetitive for me. And I was just like, okay, well, okay, we'll see what happens next. I guess I don't think, nope, nope. Exactly
1: what happened. I thought it (laughs) was going to happen. (laughs) Since it's not a very visual movie, this is the sort of thing I could see maybe someone putting on in the background while they I say, clean their house I will or something. Say that. I think that's probably I did do that when I was watching this. I cooked
0: dinner. I uh, and you know, I that's it was kind of like even though maybe you don't pick up on every single philosophical reference in the movie, it is a it is a movie that I the most I could recommend is is passive viewing because you don't it's not a hard plot line to follow. And you get the point of it without hearing everybody proselytize every three seconds. Um, so I will say I can recommend it if somebody's looking for something to watch passively. Um, but if you're looking to sit down and seriously watch, no, just no, just skip it. If you have it on DVD, burn it. You know, just literally anything. <laughs> I wouldn't go else. that far.
1: I think I think this is one of Lars von Trier's better movies. That and uh, that—it's probably my favorite. Me. Um, that scares me. <laughs> yeah, I—I I mean, I still need to see. I feel like you would probably like uh, *Melancholia* a lot um, because it's more about depression. In the second half, when it's not horribly boring, it's a disaster movie. <laughs> so I know you don't like. I know you don't like. Um, Collateral damage, but I do know you like disaster movies which is and when weird. it's about a planet colliding with the earth, which is weird. Um, and weird and he did use some pretty good special effects in that one as well. So, um, and you've got like again, all star cast, you've got Kirsten Dunst, you've got uh, uh, what's his name? Um, the guy from 24. 24. Uh, oh, I know. Oh, the show, I don't know what his name is though, but yes. I know what you're talking about. You know who yeah. I'm talking about, and I'm ugh. But anyway, so um, yeah that that I feel like you'd like a little bit more because it's much more introspective, and the second half of the movie when it's doing stuff, you know, like you'd probably find it more interesting. I certainly did when I saw it, but uh, yeah. So this is a recommend if the subject matter that we warned about in the trigger warning is something you don't like. Yeah, go ahead. And you made it this it, yeah. far and heard everything. You know there you go that's really the only people i don't recommend it to i think it's uh and it's like a soft recommendation i don't think this is going to be a lot of people's favorite movies the thing that really got me was the story itself uh but i think it's just like his dogma era thing you know his his whole movement i think it is interesting to experiment um and, you know, since this story is similar to a lot of stories, as you brought up, it's kind of like worth the experiment just to see what it's like to make a movie without sets. If I were to do the same thing, I would try and make up for it in a different area. I'd probably try and be a little fancier with the cinematography, yeah. but it's not horrible. It's just it's, yeah. it's meh. like I, again, like I kind of agree with you, like it's something I'd put on in the background uh but as far as like being super cinematically interesting i feel like it doesn't really capitalize on the media yeah, and that's kind of what i was gonna um, say i was
0: gonna say this is a pass for me one of the big reasons is specifically what you just said it doesn't make use of the fact that it's a visual film and then that, that that's not yeah, yeah. necessarily because there's not many sets it's because they didn't do anything with the cinematography that was interesting and the fact that there were no sets it's kind of like well what was the point then um,
1: if you're just gonna do kind of like a stage play sort of thing. I I just find it interesting that it didn't ruin the movie. like I th- I thought it was interesting that it worked. at the end of the day. It might not have been the best decision. It but was it, it was kind of and funny I think that's too, what
0: was... because it's something about those overhead shots and you're just watching these masking tape
1: houses like
0: <laughs> at the beginning yeah, it was again, kind of funny like, like, I was like seriously masking tape, come on. <laughs>
1: It's, like, worth the, uh, the experiment, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Like, it might not be the, the best decision for the movie, but it was worth trying and seeing how it now. goes. And, I mean, honestly, I think it would have gotten more commercial success if it had been shot conventionally, but despite it just being a gimmick, it worked for it. I mean, this is kind of a movie I hear people mention a lot, like, oh, that movie with no sets. Right, you know, but so that's it, all... But that works on some level. But that's level. all they really
0: say is this "no, is for the sure, movie with no sets. They don't say, oh, was that... It was... Again, the fact I...
1: Yeah, yeah. The fact I had no idea what the story was uh, going into it says a lot about it, and that it totally is a gimmick. Like most of the time it's like, Oh, the movie where this right. happens. And in this, it's the movie with no yeah, sets, the, the movie with no sets. So
0: like I said, it But, but what, <laughs> what happens in the with movie? Well, like, it has no sets. I don't remember.
1: I don't know. It's about a coal mining town no or something. S- Nicole Kidman, like has, she bones a lot of guys. I don't, I don't, know, don't know what's going on in this. It's, it's, it has no sets. Man. What, do you what want, else do you want? Do you it's want... got no like sets. I, I would have
0: kind of like to see, you know, you talked about if you were going to do something, so I, I kind of think the 15, and I haven't seen the podcast, I don't have the DVD, because apparently I would have thought it would be interesting to watch this just as the pilot and see if I enjoyed it more. Now, I'm hoping the pilot was at least, you know, maybe one short story kind of set like this. Now, if it was just a scene, yeah, I wouldn't have enjoyed it either. because be like, well, where's the rest of it? Uh, But I kind I, I, yeah, I do, I do kind of feel like it is a film that does out overstay its welcome. Um, the story's not really anything new and it doesn't really make use of the visual medium, but like he said, if you kind of want to see something that's experimental, that's at most I could recommend it for. Or if you're really kind of want, if you want kind of like a, uh, an arty movie that you can watch passively, which is almost non-existent, um, this would be one that I would recommend for that. But other than that, I would say, go ahead and just skip this one. Now I did have one quick question for you that I noticed the credits, they show scenes of people within poverty. What was the point of that?
1: Well, so that is a series from, not all of it. Some of it was like later on in American history, but a lot of it was from Dorothea Lange's uh, famous pictures from the Great okay. Depression, because uh, there was a lot of people living, you know, having to go to like bread lines right, right. and stuff like that. And there's pictures from the Dust Bowl, and a lot, a lot, I'd say, like half of those pictures in the end credits were from that. There was some from like you know New York yeah. in the 80s with like the crack academic and stuff I think he was just kind of trying to the the great depression pictures made sense but the other stuff i'm like i guess he's making fun of like i don't know what he was trying to it, it almost felt like darkly funny I or did, something or like he was trying i did to be. sort
0: of cheat and look up kind of what the meaning of that was because i'm like that's not the movie i can look this up and somebody said i guess some reviewers said that the film is supposed to be anti-american because of that
1: well as as the dude would say <laughs> that's just like your opinion man <laughs> So I don't know if I agree with that interpretation. I do think he's trying to kind of make a point about. Right. I just wasn't sure what it was People doing desperate stuff. I do. I feel like the end credit thing. He was trying to be funny Um, again. Lars von Trier to me. He thinks he's deeper than he actually yeah, is. I kind of got um, that vibe. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't hate the guy though. Like he's, ac- whether he's accidental or not, sometimes he can be genius. Um. Well, like I said, in, it, it, it's it also it's almost infuriating because I don't feel like I'd enjoy the guy very much in real life. But he's, ugh. like I said at the beginning with my long rant, is like he's a very frustrating figure to me because I find him in, incessantly irritating, but at the same time, he does a lot to push the medium forward by doing weird things. Yeah. And sometimes he makes good decisions. It sounds like he, it's... You know, and sometimes... There'll be like a bit in one of his four-hour movies that's like literally genius, and then he ruins it with something else. Like he's he's almost a, a an amazing filmmaker. Um, and he can get really good performances out of people. He consistently works with a lot of really big name actors, and he does make interesting movies. It's just I I struggle to like if anyone were to tell me the man is like a true genius or something, I would like- I would. Groan and roll uh, my eyes. Though? No, because <laughs> there's there's people like even even you know we 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 talked about it uh, with some with last week and we've touched on some kind of artistic movies and we've talked about other filmmakers and stuff. I feel like there's other people who just are able to make films that are a little bit more consistently good. So let me let me let me try to phrase it this way for you. So you know we talk about
0: artists. In filmmaking, maybe the Solaris guy is more of a scientist of filmmaking, and you know, that's a good if way to experiment Experiments is sometimes he, he gets a to formula experiment. that works, and a lot of the times though he doesn't. <laughs> but in the process, he finds something that does work. You know, it's kind of like people when they try, it they they discovered the uh, what was that? Uh, they discovered penicillin by testing bread mold. You know, that wasn't what they were trying to do, but. <laughs> here we are so I, I i think maybe that's a better way to phrase it there are artists of the thing and of the filmmaking and
1: then he's more of a scientist of filmmaking he does he, it's a yeah. good analogy um <laughs> but uh yeah he's it's it's he's an interesting dude and uh, maybe we'll we'll watch some more oh my stuff god just please future, make it shorter what you at home please say. make
0: it shorter or at least or at least have the clip what, what Lars it.
1: von Tr- <laughs> Everyone listening, what Lars von Trier film should we torture oh, tea with in the future? Please, if you're watching this on YouTube, let us know in the comments, or scream at us on Twitter. Please like, comment, and subscribe. And if you're watching this on Spotify, I don't know, listen to one of our other episodes if you found this entertaining. And we'll just
0: ignore the fact that he said watch us on Spotify. And you know what the worst part of this whole thing is? I have nothing <sighs>
1: equally disturbing to threaten you with, because you're too open-minded. <laughs> I know it's true. I don't know. You could you could strap me down. We could watch sitcoms I don't find funny. <laughs> but, uh, well, I'll make you watch sitcoms without um, the laugh track. <laughs> I like dang it. That doesn't
0: work either. <laughs>
1: well, well, it depends on the sitcom. If it's like The Big Bang Theory, that oh, okay, just cool. kind of exposes the the show for being not very funny. You know, at all. <laughs> people
0: claim that that's a laugh track. They actually do still film them before live studio audiences. It's not all canned laughter,
1: as much people like to say.
0: Depends on like the show. I know show. the Big Bang Theory is filmed before a live studio
1: audience. Well, that is one easy to impress studio audience. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you so much for joining us, guys. Uh, stay tuned for our Christmas episodes. We've got some bangers coming out. Uh, I'm very excited for our upcoming reviews. Uh, And yeah, thank you again. Stay thirsty, guys.
0: Reels on the Rocks is a production of Le Prince Laboratories. It is edited and produced by Alejandro Castillo, and features original artwork by Ace Esparza and original music by Pat Mars. Follow us on Twitter at Reels on the Rocks and tweet at us with any movies or topics you'd like us to discuss in
1: the future.